Welcome to The Sharp End. I'm Reha Paracha, Sustainable Multi-Asset Investment Specialist for the Rathbone Multi-Asset Funds. As usual, I'm joined by David Coombs, Head of Multi-Asset Investments. Good morning. And Will McIntosh-White, Fund Manager for the Rathbone Multi-Asset Funds. Morning. So in this month's episode, David, Will and I will be discussing the Bank of England and their recent monetary policy decisions, which seem to have surprised markets, the so-called FANGs, and why we believe you should not be grouping them all together, and the recent prominence of activist investors trying to hold company management to account. Before we get on with the show though, here's Craig with the usual T's and C's to keep us on the straight and narrow. This podcast is intended for professional investors and must not be shared with a non-professional audience. Any views and opinions are those of the investment manager and coverage of any assets must be taken into context of the constitution of the fund and in no way reflect investment recommendations. Past performance should not be seen as an indication of future performance. Now, as we spoke about in our last podcast episode, central banks have been more hawkish with their chat recently. And this was put into practice by the Bank of England, who did hike rates by 0.25% at their last MPC meeting. Now, that itself wasn't really a surprise. But what was more unexpected was that it was voted in with a split vote of 5 to 4, with the other four members actually wanting to hike by 0.5%. On top of this, the Bank of England are now actively selling down their £20 billion corporate bond portfolio. Now, this is a pretty hawkish stance to take, against an economic backdrop of rising energy prices and national insurance rises coming in April. So, Will, throwing to you here, what are your thoughts on all this and how have we seen it affecting bond markets this month? Well, first thing I thought I'd start with saying, apparently I've been accused of being a grumpy one on the podcast. Um, so yeah, I was going right. to try and be a bit more upbeat. Um, but unfortunately, Bank of England has made me pretty grumpy, actually. Um, so that's gone well then. Yeah, so it's a good start. Um <laughs> I just I think it's the communication that is the most frustrating thing around this for me and you know talking to our bond colleagues as well and that you'd essentially had complete silence from the Bank of England this year and no real indication that they were going to move more aggressively on this and then you come out with a near majority pushing for a 50 basis point hike thankfully I think since then you've had some better communication suggesting they're going to be more nimble a bit like the Fed um, more data-driven, again, like the Fed. I mean, we'll come back to the Fed later, maybe, and I think the Fed have done a much better job. And I appreciate the Bank of England, to a certain extent, is between a rock and a hard place. You know, I think they want to move towards some normalisation while things are okay. But I just don't think this is necessary. Maybe tapering down, getting those corporate bonds back onto the market, that's probably a sensible step. But hiking rates, so they hike rates in December, they're hiking rates again, the fact that they've nearly voted for 50 basis points means we're going to see another one, you know, probably at the next meeting. And you are squeezing consumers. You're squeezing people hard who are seeing energy prices going up. The energy cap's gone up, I think, 54%. Like, Something like that's that, yeah. like seven, yeah. 700 quid. I yeah. think that's it's like, a f- I'm trying to remember whether that's right or not. But that, you know, mm. your disposable income is getting hammered there. You know, that's real cost. You've got national insurance going up. That's cost across the economy. You've got inflation in food. Um, and we all know, you know, the discussions around that and how it's measured and, and the Jack Monroe piece pointing out that actually it's particularly at the bottom end, it's a lot more aggressive than perhaps being captured in the data. And so 
you're going to push the economy into a very difficult place. You know, this recovery is fragile. You only need to look at the bank's own inflation forecast, which is suggesting inflation, yes, it's very high at the moment, but it's their forecasts are suggesting it's going to come down quite rapidly, actually, over the next one to two years. Now, unless those forecasts are wrong, then why not just taper down, be a bit more dovish on rate hikes? You know, they could have telegraphed one for the next meeting or, or just one and, and then we'll see where we go. So so let me let me let me pull you out of your fog of grumpiness, right? So two days ago in our meeting I, I rang the bell on peak inflationary fears. I'm putting it out there. I'm gonna probably live to regret this. But I do think that some of the messaging and some of the commentary now around the inflation has has caught up with reality and is probably now going over the top, as as always happens, right? It's, it's, it's fairly common. Also, I suspect your grumpiness is down to to Andrew Bailey telling us everybody shouldn't have a pay rise. Um, yeah, just a little bit. And I say that kind of in a jokey way, but actually there's, there's a serious point here. I mean, we've got to remember that the consumer, i.e. The, the average household, if that's such a thing, has not seen wage growth, particularly since the financial crisis 2008. And the very year they finally get some power in terms of wage growth, Andrew Bailey stands up and says, you shouldn't be asking for pay rises. I suspect if you're the average householder, you are feeling a little bit, let's say fed up, is probably for what I can get away with in this podcast. Um, there's probably other words you might use. And, and I think I'm with them, right? This doesn't make huge sense to me, actually. And I think at some stage, some common sense will prevail. I also liken what's happening with the Bank of England a little bit to SAGE and the approach to COVID in that if you give a committee just one thing to focus on, then you will get probably um, an overreaction or the highest reaction they think they can get away with to achieve what they need to. It's up to others then to work around that into a wider policy to avoid those second-order effects. And of course, second-order effects with SAGE, with lockdowns, and what's the impact? We're now starting to have that debate. Let's move on now to the Bank of England. They are focused on one thing and one thing only, getting inflation back to 2% or 2.5%, whatever the target is, from you know nominally 7 right now. Well, of course, they're going to be 50 basis points. I'm surprised they go 100 basis points, 9-0, right? Because and that's the danger. The problem is you've got a chancellor that's also tightening fiscal policy at exactly the same time, and you've got cost plus inflation that neither of them can do anything about. So you've got the three forces of evil on the household expenditure, and that's why I'm going to use I'm going to pull the R word out here: recession. So I don't, I'm not worried about hyperinflation for the rest of the year. I'm worried about us moving into recession because we're going to hit the economy too hard on three fronts and shock it again if we're not careful. And, and that's why I think in the US, you, know, you talk about the Fed, much more considered language, considered approach, working alongside the fact that Biden's been trying to put huge fiscal stimulus into the economy. So working, managing fiscal policy together and simultaneously and sympathetically, I'm not seeing that in the UK. And in Europe, well, <laughs> I don't know, over to you. I'm not quite sure what Europe's doing, really, but um, something in the middle, I think. Going back to the point, you know, also suddenly announcing you're going to dump 20 billion of credit. 
I mean, wow, what what was that all about? Not signaling that, that that's I'm sorry, but that's incompetence. Yeah, I mean that that that's been a big problem, isn't it? You, you need to give markets some warning. I think it was interesting listening to the press conference actually. And he clearly been around the country talking to business owners who are concerned about wages. Um, and that came through very clearly, I think, and obviously what he said subsequently, that that's what they're trying to nip in a bud. But I say, supposedly, you know, monetary policy takes 12 to 18 months to have an impact. So if your forecasts are already for inflation to basically be coming down in a year's time, then all you're going to find in a year's time is inflation's already down to where you are, and demand is down significantly. Yeah, And almost in that scenario, you hope inflation's come down um, because it, if it hasn't, you get the S word. Yes. Um, which is... Stagflation for those who... <laughs> yeah. Um, you are grumpy today, aren't you? No, no I'm not. I mean, say, looking at the Fed there, I mean, we can talk about Europe. I mean, Europe have now jumped on the bandwagon, you know, talk about rate hikes. I, I don't even know where they've got to, but it's, it's talking about something from nothing, I think, essentially. But they've got no wage growth. Wage growth in Europe isn't even there. So if I were them, I, I would just sit And of course, the, the UK has got the Brexit and the tariffs and the, and, the, and the supply chain issues on top of the supply chain issues, right? So, yeah. so okay, let's just strip this back. So what are we doing about it, I guess, is what people want to hear. So we have nibbled, I think it's fair to say, at the 10-year uh, gilt, north of 1.4. It went through, it hit 1.5 yesterday or... Yeah, a couple of days ago. Tuesday, was it? Okay. And so we've we've started nibbling because if we're we're not calling a recession, but it the risk of the recession, I I think given the Bank of England's recent and and Sunak's uh, comments recently, I think we have to factor that as a as a rising factor risk in the strategies. And so what we're doing is we are we didn't have a huge exposure, if any, to kind of UK PLC in the equity portfolio anyway. It was our UK stocks, our international growth stocks in the main or energy stocks. So we're quite comfortable with our UK equity portfolio. We sold the FTSE trackers, which have outperformed significantly other markets year to date. So that's worked well. And we've, we've now sold those and, and, and switched those into our, our favoured names. We started buying the conventional gilt. We are looking at the index linked. At some stage, that might be a switch. So the fingers are starting to twitch on, on that one. We've increased our exposure to other currencies in the bond portfolio because we think sterling is particularly vulnerable in the scenario. If that scenario happens, again, we're not saying it will, but the risk of it of a recession and sterling being weaker is rising. I think that's yeah. the point. Sterling is the big one yeah. because currencies, as we know, extraordinarily difficult to predict and you often end up with egg on your face. But right now, sterling's being sort of held up by those rate hikes, I think. And, and I think the market almost can't make up its mind, actually, because you, you're seeing... Volatility within a band. Well, you've seen asset allocation sterling. putting UK, UK's outperformed. So you yeah. kind of had that, the asset allocator's money coming into the UK, haven't you? Yeah. But that could easily reverse. Well, that, that's the thing. And it, and it can be a risk on currency. And, yeah. And we've had that bounce. Yeah. Um, but I do think if, if we see a risk off market and slowing growth in the UK. I mean, it is same. a risk on currency. But it was surprisingly stable during January, though, wasn't it? It was. Because it... it it was risk off, but only risk off in certain parts of the market. It wasn't like a macro risk off, no, was it? No, it's not an economic risk off, no, if you like. A... I mean, God, I've never done <laughs> breakdown what risk off into various sections now, but you're absolutely right. Um, but I think if you see a broader yeah. slowdown, whether it's global or UK specific, well, selling clearly. So, so we've added to Canadian dollars, 
we've um, added to US dollars and yen in, in in the medium to low risk funds, and I think we'll we may continue to do that if if if, if we see more and more signs that that UK recession risk continues. Clearly, with the political situation at the moment, government policy is all over the place. It's very difficult to get a feel for who's going to be in charge of what what number in Downing Street, who will be the Chancellor in three months' time, who will be the Prime Minister. So it's very difficult at the moment to see any coherent policies that's going to reduce that risk. So I only see the risk rising or staying the same. I don't see what's going to change unless we get a complete change of leadership within the next month and then a complete change of of fiscal policy. That's what we I think we probably need to see from here. Well, your prediction of Jeremy Hunt of of Jeremy and, and Boris going I mean, Boris on the ropes, but he seems to be holding strong. I think Craig's changed his mind. I think he's not here to defend himself. I think Sylvester still Stallone will play Boris in the movie, <laughs> won't he? It's Rocky Three, isn't it? So I think that's probably a good time to move on to talking about individual companies this earnings season and the stock dispersion we've seen. Now, I'm sure we've all heard the term FANG, which I learned this week was coined by Mad Money presenter Jim Cramer all the way back in 2013. But with Facebook changing its name to Meta and Google to Alphabet, apparently the new acronym for the five biggest tech giants is now MAMA. Netflix is out and Microsoft is in. Now, personally, I can't really see Mama catching on, but the point really is, no matter what we call them, is there any benefit of grouping these or any other similar tech companies together in this way? We've seen Meta stock plunge on weak earnings this quarter, while Amazon's shares have soared. So, David, now I know you love the term Mama, but do you think it has any use? <laughs> well, it did Abba okay, didn't it? <laughs> now, just correct me if I'm wrong. So, it's Microsoft, Meta, Alphabet. Amazon, Apple. Yeah. So it's two M's and three A's. That's it. And that's good old Jim. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Netflix um, isn't in there anymore. No. I, it makes no more sense than Fangs did, to be honest. Bat Fangs. Or Bat Fangs or any of the other ones that came along. Uh, unless, of course, people do believe in it and they invest alongside it and you get baskets and quant strategies. So you can't ignore them, actually. I mean, joking aside, these things do matter. Um, they're also reflective, typically, of what's happened rather than what's going to happen. And I think, yeah, we've talked about this quite a lot in terms of the danger of of calling a tech, calling or giving the moniker tech to a company when it actually it's enabled by tech rather than being a tech business. So, you know, we we've never owned Meta or Facebook in the portfolios. We've always been concerned about privacy issues, which is why we don't own Twitter or Snap or any other social media uh, platforms either. The privacy impact has come from a slightly different direction in terms of its impact on advertising, where we thought it would much be more about the consumer pushing back about not wanting pictures of their kids on online. I still think that might come. So, you know, we, we've never owned Facebook. That has been wrong quite often, to be fair, although it feels better at the moment. I still don't feel that I want to own that company in, in this portfolio. I don't think it really fits with our style. But Microsoft, Amazon and Google on the other hand, all of which are key players in cloud. So, so they, they genuinely are tech companies. They're clearly not pure tech plays. You know, Google is also a media business in a way, and it relies on advertising, albeit by search, rather than by watching TV programs. You know, and Microsoft it clearly is a becoming a sort of conglomerate of different, it's a media company, it's support Activision Blizzard, we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Um, so it's going to stream games now through, it's, it's got the, as the console business 
probably moves away to online streaming. It seems quite a smart move. You know, Microsoft is a tech company. It's cloud, it's Windows, so it's software. It has been a little bit of hardware. It's now moving into media a little bit, which is interesting, slightly concerning. So we'll 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 sit back and, and watch. And Amazon, of course, is a retail business. It's a cloud business. It's tech and a lot more. But all three of them, are, are, for me, are becoming utilities in a way that we would really miss these companies day to day if they weren't in our lives. At least two or three, I expect all the people listening here will at least use two or three of those every day and would really miss them and have an impact on them. And they're probably the last things they're going to cut from their expenditure if going back, you know, if inflation is biting or discretionary spend is falling in the household. I suspect your kids are still going to use games. You're still going to use uh, Windows. You're still going to be searching for things on, on the internet. You're still going to be buying stuff from Amazon as cheaply as you can and get free delivery, right? Yeah, we saw that with Amazon increasing its Prime membership as well for the first time in quite a long time. Yeah. And that, whether, you know, will that really stop people using that subscription? Probably not. Which is an interesting point. It goes back to the Jack Monroe thing to a certain extent in that, yeah, Amazon Prime charges, what, £70 a year, something like that. Yeah. If you increase that by 5%, um, that's what seventy three pound fifty. Look at that, Matt. Um, three pound fifty doesn't. Check that. <laughs> yeah. Three pound fifty per annum. It's probably going to you're going to increase that. Whereas uh, higher ticket items, you know, Sky at one hundred and twenty pound, one hundred and forty pound a month. Ooh, I might cut back on sport. I might cut back. Or and yeah, you know, other things. You go into the restaurant once a month, or go into the cinema once a month. There are other things you're going to cut before you cut Amazon Prime, I suspect, because you also get the TV, the TV from that and the delivery and everything else. I think that's right. We talked once upon a time when we were talking about unpicking the fangs about that utility that you get from these businesses. And since talking about those hikes, you know, someone was talking about well, Netflix can push those price hikes through relatively easy. I, I can't remember. Is it five pounds, seven pounds a month? Oh, no, it's a lot more than that now. Uh, I it? think it's a lot more than that now. <laughs> well, there you go. They've clearly been pushing them through. I <laughs> you're, even you're, you're clearly using your brother's <laughs> subscription, not yours. You're one of those ghost users. <laughs> so, yeah, so tight. So, so they can clearly push them through. But, but one of our worries around Netflix was competition. Yeah, yeah right? and, and yes, they were out there. We said, well, Disney going to come after them, which they have. And it was interesting. I think Disney had numbers overnight, actually. And they've got lots of people pulling them onto their Disney Plus platform. Yeah. Um, and Netflix subscriber, subscriber growth, if I could say that, um, has been slowing. And, and hence, they had a pretty nasty uh, shock to the share price, down 20%. And there's a similar thing with Facebook. I'm never going to call them Meta. Uh, I think <laughs> calling themselves Metaverse probably was the top of the yeah. of the market, wasn't it? 28th I just, of October. I just can't get Nick Clegg's face out of it. Whenever I think Meta, I think Nick Clegg. Um, but the other thing, we talked about privacy, but we all talked about sort of fashion and, and people moving away yeah. from Facebook and onto new platforms. And, and Snap was one at the time yeah. we were potentially worried about. As it turns out, TikTok has yeah. been the, the bigger impact, which of course, um, owned by ByteDance, come across from China. Um, and so thinking about those, those moats, around businesses and that's why that the cloud element of all of those businesses is so strong because they are now way ahead they're working in an oligopoly thinking about again you think about the spend of amazon and google in particular over the last five years we get those annual figures of who spent capex yeah and they're always at the front of that and that's paying dividends that's why amazon's so far ahead in terms of shipping and fulfillment um, you know they are virtually untouchable, right? So, so what you're talking about is so Amazon, Alphabet, 
and Microsoft, you can still see a growth trajectory. That's the key, right? They are mature companies, but they are still they still have divisions and significant divisions, not two percent of earnings, that are growing, that are going to sustain those higher multiples. What you've seen with Meta, Facebook, and Netflix is, is kind of the opposite. Maybe they're still great companies, right? They still offer great services potentially, but are they now in the mature phase? And the market has to reappraise what multiple it wants. They still should be at a premium to the market, in my view, but they probably shouldn't be at such an elevated premium. Now, Apple's the interesting one because I'm not sure. I think Apple's in the middle for me. I'm not. I'm. I, I'm mm-hmm. thinking that Apple needs to be a multiple closer to an LVMH. Or in the luxury goods space, is it still a tech company? Partially, is so. I, Apple, I still struggle to see how we should value that, and with that, that's why we don't own it because we can't quite get our heads around what the risk is. But I think if we just broaden it away from Mama, what we've just talked about has really been kind of what we've seen across the whole market in a way, right? It, it, it because we've seen stock dispersion in the last two months, two and a half months, has been higher than I've seen. Well, for a long, long time, and we've seen you know, earnings seasons being volatile. But yeah, you're seeing mega cap and very large cap stocks moving double digits in a day, up and down, which you don't see that very often. I mean, Meta, it, what was it? What was it? The write-off was something like the equivalent of one FTSE company going bust or something. It was just yeah, like hundreds, comfortably, hundreds of billions of dollars wiped yeah. off in yeah. a day. Yeah. I mean, these are phenomenal. Tesla, I mean, this is a what a trillion dollar company. Mm-hmm moves in in chunks of 15 20 <laughs> i mean this this, this is yeah. unbelievable volatility i don't recall ever seeing do you remember the old text would go if you have a portfolio of blue chips you know yes you get a bit of share price movement but you know overall you'll this is off the scale the textbooks need to be rewritten and i think it's about what we've just discussed it's going into these higher p stocks you're forced to have that conversation because of interest rate rises right that let, let, let's not kid ourselves. That's why these conversations are being had. The market is reappraising the high multiple stocks. Actually, which one of those really justify that premium and which are just hype, talk and promise? When you look at some of those multiples, I mean, Meta, I think, has come probably closer to the market P now. And and Google, believe it or not, Alphabet, you know, even that is on a low 20s multiple. And it has been for a very long time, broadly, um, because it just keeps growing those earnings at you know 20% a year almost. Now, Amazon, slightly different case because I think they can, as they showed actually this earnings season, they can make serious earnings when they cut back a little bit on that investment spend. Um, and I think that's why that multiple's always been elevated because it never reflect the true Correct. potential of yeah. you know, earnings generation. But I think you're right. The market has now become a lot more discerning in the last two months. Whereas I think for the majority of last year, you know, the market took small missteps in its stride, really. Um, whereas now you are getting seriously punished. Yeah, and I think you know, we've been very happily adding to Alphabet, um, Microsoft and um, Amazon. Amazon, thank you. In the last, we halved Amazon last year. So we've been very happy adding back to those names the last six or eight weeks because I do have that long-term faith in that growth trajectory. Yeah, should they be 30 times 40 or 50? Don't know, to be honest. The market's taking a long time to work that out. But I have high, I'm very comfortable adding to them. Could they be 10% lower in a month's time? Yeah, possibly, and we'll add some more. I think where you, you need to be really careful is those companies that don't have those same utility type qualities or 
where you have that real conviction there's still growth to come. And I think that's the big question. And that stock dispersion for me is incredibly healthy, actually. It means capital starts going to the right places. And maybe we're at peak passive, although I've called that once before, and that's been wrong. But, you know, passive investing takes the pressure off CEOs. And I think we're starting to see a little bit more discerning activity in the markets. Great. So on that note, let's pivot back to the UK and activist investors and their descent on UK companies in particular, which has been shaking up corporate boardrooms. We've seen few sectors remain untouched by activists such as Elliot, who have been building stakes in major companies like Vodafone, Unilever, Glaxo, Aviva and SSE. UK companies are looking like the most attractive for activists to target and pressurise to restructure, sell off divisions, pursue M&A or refresh management. But the question is really, do we think activist investors are a good thing, Will? I think it depends. As you say, it's interesting, coming in across various sectors seems to be quite UK focused at the moment. We almost had this big wave of M&A in the UK suddenly at the back end of last year. And then the last couple of months, you've sort of seen a lot of you know, Elliot building stakes and Terry Smith, if you want to call that activism, going sort of publicly calling out Unilever. And I'm not entirely sure why that is. Perhaps it's just the fact that they're seeing lots of value in the UK and they're working out how to unlock it. And it's either via M&A or it's, or it's by driving restructuring. And you know, you're either focusing on changing management and changing the sort of governance element, you know, whether that's at the board level, pushing for M&A. And that can be either, I mean, Peloton. I don't know if you saw Peloton. Yeah, that saw that was that. a that was a mix of both. Actually, I had not heard. I think it was Blackwater. I can't say I'd heard of before. Um, but pushing for the removal of the founder and CEO, um, and as well as exploring a sale, um, which is pretty pretty aggressive and, and possibly right. Actually, I was I was looking at the li- uh, reasons they were listing as to why they want to change Peloton. So through this, they've taken Peloton taken a twenty year lease in New York at a very expensive level. Apparently, they've had product recalls, which of course we're seeing after that toddler unfortunately died. But um, some have suggested that they were perhaps too hasty in making those product recalls, and then they've expanded capacity massively just as demand has slowed down. And Peloton, as you well know, I have a beer in my bonnet about that stock, and I called it out. And then David's favourite. David's favourite. <laughs> to, to use yeah. clothes horse. They, 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 thought, they thought mine wasn't working. Uh, it was. I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I feel that it's like it got bailed out. But it's interesting, you know, when you see management making clear missteps like that, I do think it's absolutely right that someone steps in and pushes for change. Now, whether it's right for Peloton to, you know, pursue a sale or not, I'll leave that to others to decide. And I fingers crossed that it's not Nike or Amazon, who we both own, that, that buy it. Of course, Richard Gere gave activist investors a bad name in Pretty Woman, wasn't he? He was that horrible asset stripper. And also um, Gordon Gecko in in Wall Street, who, was, who sacked Charlie Sheen's dad in the aircraft business he took over. That's kind of the, the shady and nasty side of activism, you know, basically streamlining businesses, asset stripping or letting and, and, and sacking lots of people. So, you know, it, it can have pretty unpleasant second order effects, you know. But ultimately, I think activism is a, is a force for good. I think it absolutely combats that, that passive investing that we've seen for the last decade, maybe decade and a half. And, you know, if, if the top 10 shareholders in your business 
are passive, pressure's off, right? Now, all of a sudden, CEOs are starting to feel the pressure. And these are not the Richard Gere kind of characters. I mean, some of these uh, activist investors we've talk, they're, they're talked about in the, in the media at the moment, they're actually quite constructive in their criticism, I think, in many cases, rather than personal or they're not looking to asset strip. They are genuinely looking to try and improve the return on capital for shareholders and engaging with other shareholders in a positive manner. Not always, clearly. I actually think it, it's very helpful. It helps in liquidity. It, it certainly shakes up management boards. I mean, they've been going at Vodafone saying there's a lack of telecoms expertise on the board. That's a very legitimate criticism to make and helpful. And, you know, have BlackRock, Vanguard, Legal and General and all the other passive guys been making those points? No. Yeah, I think I think Vodafone's top three shareholders are all passive. There you go. So, so that, that, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, that passive shareholders are on the register, but if it becomes dominant, then I think that's not overly healthy. So I, I applaud this new activism it's not always going to end well. It's not always going to be for the right reasons, but it is part of how a capitalist system should work. It's how it should help to ensure capital is invested appropriately and and kind of supervised by people with the right skills. And it'll make even if you're a CEO right now of a company that hasn't got an activist shareholder, you are probably going to be knocked off your comfort zone, thinking I might be next, and that I think is probably a good thing. I think that's right. It certainly, it slightly depends how management take it, actually, because I think increasingly management are can be open to criticism. Say, have we thought about that idea? Should we be exploring these options? And and I think that is healthy. And that's probably a sign of better management. The worry is, of course, if you've got management who sort of dig in, don't want to listen to the activists, and then they're distracted for a you know, however long it may be, it might be years, sort of fighting off this activism and always worried about this activist shareholder and the share price rather than actually getting on and managing a business. And it's that sort of, you know, if they can work in a collaboration, I think that can work. And it's that short term versus long term. And, and certain activist investors, I think, just want to split a business up you know, so that bits of the business gets revalued. That's what quite a lot of them have been trying to do, for example, with like SSE splitting off the renewable business. I think for Shell, that's also something they're advocating for. So it seems like that's one of the kind of main routes is trying to do the spin off divisions into separate areas. Yeah, and then the SSE management came out and said, well, actually, we, we, no, we, we yeah. like having that portfolio diversification and it actually helps the share price. And that's kind of been borne out a little bit in the, in the, in the last few Recent months. And they, and they so, so activists aren't always right. And, and, and that's okay, right? So, I mean, we've been activists recently. We wrote to Activision Blizzard about, about some issues around on ESG recently and they got taken over by Microsoft before we could have the meeting with them. <laughs> so uh, that's ended up being pretty futile. So, but, you know, no, I think, joking aside, I think, I, I really welcome activist investors, but I reserve the right to disagree with them as well. Great. So now it's time for the much-loved multi-asset mixtape for the month. Today we've got Will with his attempt to put together a mixtape reflecting this month's topics. And of course, because he's grumpy, it's going to be nine songs by Leonard Cohen, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> not quite. Not quite that bad. So obviously talking about the Bank of England and Andrew Bailey. And the first one I've got, given the lack of communication, uh, I've got Don't Speak by No Doubt. Yeah, good song. Um, like that. Canadian. Okay. Canada's in the news at the moment. Um, <laughs> Topical. <laughs> <laughs> Always think about everything. And, and then I thought to sort of reflect the fact that, you know, households in the UK 
are struggling and Andrew Bailey has what I can only describe as probably a limited concept of that. Um, I've got B Smalls, everyday struggle. Um, (laughs) And also Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous by Good Charlotte, which is particularly poking up fun about people in privileged positions who don't really understand how normal life is. Have you heard of Good Charlotte? Yeah. Okay. Not that particular song, but... (laughs) Okay, good. And then we moved on to talking about the tech stocks um, and Mama. And no, I've not come for Mamma Mia. Um, <laughs> I come for Take Your Mama by Scissor Sisters. Okay. Yeah. And then I've got for uh, Metallica. Uh, Metallica. Oh, oh, my there goodness. You go, there you go. Um, That's a good one. Yeah, Enter Sandman. Um, oh, good song. Is, yeah. Absolutely yeah. classic. Yeah. And and actually, I picked one and we didn't actually talk about it because I thought we might end up talking a little bit about Spotify, um, yeah, which is it. another uh, name that has struggled yeah, over yeah, this yeah. period and, of course, has been in the spotlight given Joe Rogan and Neil Young. So I picked Neil Young, uh-huh. um, Heart of Gold, which, interestingly enough, is still on Spotify, from what I can tell. Oh. So I thought they would removed them at his request <laughs> so anyway if, if you're listening neil um he's, he's still on there um, he, is, he is one of our listeners yeah through apple presumably <laughs> clearly um and then uh, then we've got activist investing uh so i've got stir it up by bob marley yeah say what you want by texas yeah um and okay. then changes by tupac Okay. Right. I might like add, the variety. Yeah. All of those apart from that Metallica song I might add on my playlist. Great. No, that was good variety, I think. So thank you, Will. All the songs will be on Spotify. <laughs> we have boycotted them. And Apple Music too. So please do have a listen. That's it from us. Thank you for joining. And we'd love for you to join again for next month's episode of The Sharp End. If you didn't have a chance to listen last time, please do go back and give it a go. In January, we spoke about the tricky new year for global markets and the challenges and opportunities it presents, as well as the role of commodities and gold during times of increased geopolitical risk. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcasting platforms and some other smaller ones as well. Also, please don't forget to hit the subscribe or follow button and feel free to leave us a rating and review as well. If you'd like to hear more about the Rathburn multi-asset funds, please do speak to a usual Rathburn sales contact or visit the website at www.rathbonefunds.com. Thanks again for listening.